tuning into the Martial Arts Podcast Show, aka Maps. I'm your host, Bear, and we have Kay. Today we'll be discussing Kyokushin Kai Karate with Claudio. Welcome, Claudio. One that I did was Kyokushin Kai. That was, that was uh, quite intense, <laughs> even as a kid, to be honest. I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, with Kyokushin. I, I just know it's the, known as the hard style, but um, <laughs> I found it quite hard to... Uh, it's quite hard to describe to yeah. practitioners outside of that art, right? It's a bit like when you look at... Uh, I was saying to uh, Bairstead on a different podcast like on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Mm-hmm. And, like, if you didn't know Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, then like with no offence intended, it will look the same, right? <laughs> like, unless you practice that art. Yeah. Uh, but I think uh, Kyokushin from what I, I know, I've, I've never practiced it. I've never seen it in real life, possibly. I've seen karate, uh, other styles. But I, I think it's known to be a very hard style. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think one, well, it's, it's, it's advertised <laughs> as the hardest karate out there. Um, it was made or more like, um, I wouldn't say created, perhaps like put together uh, by a guy called uh, Masutatsu Oyama. Uh, he was actually a Korean guy that moved to Japan uh, back in the Second World War type type of uh, time. I can't I can't remember exactly the date, but he he moved he moved to Japan, um, and obviously he was very poor. He was looking for a job there, and he was struggling quite a bit. And um, so he developed he he learned a bit of uh, karate, uh, obviously being in Japan, um, and he, then he kind of developed his own style. Uh, but like I said, he was he was very poor, and he was living the, the actually the myth goes like uh, he was living in a shack in the middle of nowhere, and obviously he couldn't have uh, he didn't have any money to pay the rent for that shack. Jack, shack. So uh, because in the farm they had uh, bulls, and he made a bet to the owner of the of the field and said, well, if I <laughs> if I break uh, one of uh, the horn the horn of the bull with my bare hands, you let me live for free. So, um, so basically, the, the the owner or the the owner of the field said, "Yeah, sure, you're on." Uh, so, usually, as bulls go, they you know charge towards the guy, and the guy managed to wrestle it down with bare hands, with no weapons or anything like that, and with the um, with shuto, uh, which is the um, edge of your hand. Uh, with just with that, he managed to hit the horn of the ball and the bull and, and cut it off essentially. Uh, so the the owner of the land was so impressed that not only you know asked him to teach him um, karate, but obviously let him uh, live in the land for free. And and I think from then on he took off and he became one of the one of the major major martial arts or karate styles in Japan for a long while actually. It's quite a modern uh, creative compared to like Goju Ru. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. Yeah. It's very recent, right? Because uh, Masayama, we actually, uh, people still know, like there's people around that know the, the founder of that art. Mm-hmm. So it's quite recent. Yeah, exactly. I think, like I said, I mean, uh, Oyama, I think he died in 92 uh, and he mm. was 80 something <clears throat> years old. So yeah, it's, it's, it's quite recent. It's not, but his roots come from the other, the other older styles, isn't it? Because obviously he learned from other styles as well. So he put it, he put this one together. Um, but one of the things that he he was quite adamant on um, was in more full contact than the other karate had at that time. 
in, in yeah. Japan. Because obviously, like if you go, I think one of the main ones is um, is Shotokan, which is basically just distance fighting or distance sparring. You don't get to touch the other competitor. And when it's down to a, a martial art or self-defense, uh, you you do need to to get some contact, and you need to not just feel what hitting the other person feels like, because uh, you can practice that with a with a dummy or or a punching bag, right? But also to getting getting hit and getting punched and getting kicked as well. Oh, um, <laughs> so you know, like, so one day you are in a in a street fight, or you have to you're forced to defend yourself. And you're not going to be scared of being punched or being kicked because you already already know how how it feels like, and um, and I think that's what that's one one of these one of these main points of Kyokushin, I, I think it is, um, and that's why he introduced also the 100 kumite as part of uh, the test for his black belt, um, which consisted of if you want to be a, a, a if you want to be a black belt, uh, you have to complete 100 kumites either by knocking the other person out or just completing the time. Um, so it was very, very tough, <laughs> I tell you. <laughs> and I know that it's quite popular with a lot of competitions uh, alongside uh, Shotokan. It's one that they do a lot of uh, full contact combat competitions. For Kyokushin, is this the one where you're allowed to kick to the head and body, but it, you punch below the head? Is it this one? Exactly, exactly. So tournaments uh, consist of that. Uh, a kick in the head consists of, uh, is equal to uh, an ipon, which is a one point. Uh, then obviously a knockout as well. Um, it's but it's harder to knock the other person out, <laughs> um, yeah. especially when all the adrenaline are pumping, you know, and you're in the middle of the tournament. But yeah, you you have no no um, protections at all. Uh, you can have like uh, band, uh, wraps in your hands and in your feet, but they have to be checked to make sure there's nothing underneath them. Um, but yeah, you no protections, no helmets, nothing like nothing of the sort. I think the opponent would really prefer. Uh, Kyokushin practitioner, practitioners to wear gloves because you guys like to do uh, uh, um, those fist, fist push-ups on the floorboards oh, yeah, yeah. and you, you punch in a way where you always twist the hand, right? So you dig the front two knuckles mm. and you have every Kyokushin or, or even generally like karate practitioners I've seen they've got gigantic knuckles. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they're actually weapons where when yeah. they punch you they dig their knuckles right into yeah. your body and get yeah. like a knuckle bruise. So it's actually yeah. more advantageous for, for, for them to have gloves on for, for, the, uh, for the opponent. Yeah, exactly. So if you, if you were to watch a, a Kyokushin tournament you can see them uh, as opposed to, for example, a taekwondo one where everything is kicks mainly and you, and your arms are low because obviously you don't need to protect your head so much, right? Yeah. Um, in Kyokushin, you have to put your arms up because otherwise you get kicked in the in the face. Um, but it's kind of short distance, so close, kind of close combat because um, a kick is hard and it obviously takes longer to reach the head and you can see it coming a mile away. Um, but a punch, it's it's quite close and in the tournaments you will see people punching more than kicking uh, the kicks they also happen but it happened on the lower uh, parts of the body like legs uh, so for example you can kick the inner the inner thigh and that that can hurt a lot i tell you <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah it's mainly punching low kicking and it uh, the high kick do happen um but they are very risky obviously you can you can lose your balance or you can get punch or hit or hit 
and and lose a point that way. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, one of the if you can see if you can look for it as well. Uh, one of the main, well, not main, but one practitioner of Kyokushin is uh, Dolph Lundgren. Uh, and obviously the guy is huge and really tall. Uh, so in his case, kicking is not a problem because <laughs> he can just by, you know, kick higher. Yeah, just just barely lifting his leg, he will reach the, the opponent's head. So <laughs> in his case, it's fine. That's incredible. I mean, I, I mentioned the glove point because uh, a lot of people, when I say, oh, protect the opponent, they, they're like, isn't, aren't gloves always designed to protect the opponent, but not so much, right? In like a lot of like combat sports, is to protect the person punching. Uh, because we like, we, I train on like boxing pads and boxing mm -hmm. bags. I don't yeah. really train uh, kind of like bare, bare, bare fist. Right. So it's quite, it hurts quite a lot if I punch without the gloves. I, it actually <laughs> helps me to wear gloves. Protects yeah. my fist quite a lot. Yeah, no, but um, yeah, that's true. I think yeah, gloves are main meant for yeah for to protect both really, isn't it? Um, however, in in Kyokushin, one of the training methods is uh, um, is makiwara, uh, which is basically uh, a board, uh, but like toughened wood. It's not the type of, type of like pine that you can break easily, uh, and that has to be uh, wrapped in a type of uh, specific rope. I can't remember the name now. Uh, and with that, basically, you just punch it. You just punch it yep. lots and lots of times. And that toughens your knuckles up. Uh, like you said. Oh, yes. Yeah, you, as well as, you know, doing the push-ups and everything that's on the floor with your knuckles, you cannot use your your the palm of your hands for anything. Uh, I mean, you, you're more than welcome to use your the tip of your fingers. You can use the tip of your fingers, three fingers, or even two or one, <laughs> if you're brave enough, like your thumb, uh, to do your push-ups. Um, that's that's fine. Um, even for black belt, you have to do a part of the test. Well, the one I did, anyways. It's a handstand with two fingers, um, and it, it's all about yeah, toughening your your knuckles, and not just for the punching, but also for other type of strikes as well. And that's why we don't we don't use gloves much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really like watching Kyokushin uh like videos because it the the sparring and the combat aspect is really real mm -hmm. um we were talking like there's different martial arts and i see a lot of demonstrations uh yesterday was on a different podcast mm -hmm. we was talking about dku and mm -hmm. personally i don't I'm, I'm sure everyone finds value in different things but personally i didn't quite like dku where i didn't feel that his style in the demonstrations i couldn't see any pressure being applied right. but in kyokushin I see pressure being applied in real time, mm -hmm. in real sparring, with full, full brutal force. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's really impressive yeah. uh, for fighting up. <laughs> no, no, for sure. Even because um, I, I started quite young as well. I started in Kyokushin since I was seven years old. Um, I started going with my dad and my uncle. Um, and like I think I did a year training with them. Obviously, as a kid, it wasn't very appealing because it was mainly for grown-ups uh, and adults, the class. So there weren't any other kids. So I was training with the adults. Um, but I stayed on and I think I kept on going and I think I was 12, 13 sort of thing. And I got to spar with a brown belt, which was, he was probably 19, so older and much bigger than me. And uh, I just sparring, it was just, he would just hit my stomach and I kept, you know, I kept on losing my air. <laughs> and mm -hmm. he, he wasn't even, you know, 
using a close a close fist. I was like, no, and I told him, look, you have to be take it easy. <laughs> and I said, well, I am taking it easy. I'm not even closing my fist. <laughs> and I was losing my, you know, leave, taking the air out of my lungs constantly. So, <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, it's even it's even tough. You know, when it's even tough on kids. I think my I remember my tournaments when I was a kid. Um, for kids up to nine, twelve years, you 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 do use a helmet, um, which kind of is quite obstructive. But after that, uh, if you go to a tournament, you have to be ready to to fight without because uh, there's no no protections. Even like I said, thirteen onwards, no, no protections at all. Do you wear a gum shield? Uh, no, you can Ooh. you can yeah you can do uh, that's that's not a problem. Um, but not necessarily. I mean, growing up, the like adult categories and over over eighty kilos, they they did obviously because their kicks and punches were quite serious. Um, but no, it wasn't imposed. It wasn't imposed at all. It was quite controlled by the by the referees as well. So, um, in 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 my career, as um, I'm not, I wasn't not, not just a competitor, but I used to be uh, the referee on the corners as well. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, with the tournaments, uh, but there's a central referee that directs the fight, and there's uh, corner referees which basically indicate the points um, when the referee calls for that for them, uh, or when the competitors leave the tatami, the the in the inner area. So um, I was I was one of them as well, and um, and yeah, I mean it's quite controlled. I mean even if even if a competitor you know gets knocked down or gets the air out of the lungs, the this the the fight is is stopped straight away, like as you as you would normally, right? <laughs> and um, and then obviously the 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 fight stops and 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 waits, and the referee tries to get the. The competitor to be to recover. Obviously, if they can't recover, the the, the fight is over, isn't it? But um, but yeah, it can happen. So for the legendary Kumite with the hundred man round, uh-huh. uh, did you did you go through that ceremony then? Uh, I was supposed to. Uh, I didn't get the chance, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but I was supposed to. That's part of the uh, the, the black belt um, test. Uh, but we did we did uh, sparring like lots of fights uh, aspiring not as part of the exam itself but yeah that's amazing and um so sensei claudio uh the mm-hmm. big part would be like when you decided to form your own dojo how, how was that experience when you first started was it a moment where you felt oh i'm teaching quite a lot in class let's grow this or <laughs> how, how did it start so it was yeah it was kind of natural actually because as you grow up towards the black belt um you kind of start helping your teacher well at least my my teacher requested some helps from the older the older students um and i kind of like you you can develop a taste for it so like for example if you're green belt you help the the lower belt or if you're brown belt which is like one step closer to to the black belt um you start helping you start directing the classes and even if the teacher because we were quite close to my teacher right um uh, he would say, "Look, uh, I can't, I can't give the class today. Would you mind taking over?" And I would more than gladly, gladly do so. Um, so that's that's how it started. And I thought, well, you know, um, it's a it's an interesting step as well. Um, and I think I was a, a teenager, 17, when I became a black belt. Um, 
I thought, you know, like uh, it's a good it's a good uh, side job as well, uh, as well as you know, I go to high school in the in the day, and then uh, I can go to I can do some work in the evenings. Um, so I opened my dojo, and mainly it was also a good opportunity because um, at the time uh, my parents uh, moved we we moved basically from from house, and they left like the previous house they left it empty. And I and I and I asked him, look, would you mind if I use a the house as a dojo? And and they they were more more than happy. So I was um, I was quite lucky to have that opportunity, to be honest. And, and the area was quite um, a marginalized area as well. And I thought it was a the, a good opportunity to get to help uh, kids in the area, you know, get them sort of out of the streets and and do something something more constructive to for them. And uh, yeah, and I started started that way. Um, after a while, I, I opened another one <laughs> nearby as well. Um, so so yeah, that was that was quite interesting. That's really inspiring. We have a friend who uh, teaches kickboxing in in his local area to help like kids, but he also recruits them for his security firm. So he runs mm-hmm. a security firm and a moving company. Mm-hmm. And for for the kids who don't have much going on, he still um, tries to promote uh, further education to them. Right. But in the meantime, because he knows the kids are like looking for part-time jobs and the like, yeah. he, he gets them into security jobs and exactly. moving jobs, and then also like to teach them kickboxing as well. So I think uh, that that really seems to be a, mm-hmm. a a good direction to put kids forward. Yeah. yeah, especially I noticed that, for example, in areas where there's not much that they can get out of, um, I noticed that they give them martial arts. They give them like a sort of honor and <clears throat> respect for others as well, which. I thought it was quite good. I mean, if if they're already uh, under an environment where it's not very helpful to you know for them to grow as as good people and to help for others, uh, I think martial arts actually is a good is a good point to kickboxing or any any other martial arts as well. Um, it's a good thing for them to to learn and to respect the others because um, I think all martial arts is one of the things that they all have in common. It's just respect your old, your elders, you know, like respect your your community and help whenever you can. And and uh, I think any any community that has a martial arts center nearby, it's 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 bound to be better. It feels safe as well, isn't it? Like for oh, yeah. um, practically any martial art community you walk into, mm-hmm. you you instantly feel safe. It's not the same as going into a dodgy area or going mm-hmm. to a very aggressive sports crowd. Is you, you know you're safe inside a dojo so that kind of comfort is, is really nice yeah exactly you know you know you're not going to find uh, aggressive people or or people that talk badly <laughs> obviously there's always one but you know <laughs> yeah so um you, you was really young then when you uh kind of commenced the first dojo the first one at your parents house that that was the quite early stage yeah exactly yeah <laughs> yeah a lot of people say that <laughs> but um but yeah i really loved martial arts since like i said since i was at seven so i think all in all possibly i was practicing martial arts for like 10 years already so i was um yeah quite quite early early stages there <laughs> as opposed to other instructors where they start in their 30s or maybe 40s but um um, but yeah, yes, because I, I, you know, like I said, I love the community. I wanted to help the best I could as well. And, and obviously it was a, a good job for me. Um, like I mentioned, it's, it's not, I'm not from the UK. I'm from Uruguay, which is a small country in South America. And, um, and you don't get all these benefits from, from the, the government or, you know, you, you don't have to concentrate so much in, um, 
or you can't you cannot concentrate so much in your studies because obviously you have to help your parents with your with the bills or you know you get to an age and they start telling you okay well you need a, you need to get a job now <laughs> um, <laughs> and having all this experience in martial arts and karate at that time i thought well you know it's a it's a it's a no, it's not just uh, a job, but I think, like I said, it's, it's a great way to help yeah. the community and, and just get some, you know, some money for me to go out on the weekends, I guess. There's no local farms in the area to, to tell the landlord, like, I can live here. I just killed his boy for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, there wasn't. <laughs> yeah, my, my landlord, the previous one, charged me for, like, uh, uh, this chair that, that was already broken and I had to pay for that. Right? Like, oh. <laughs> if I break a boy, I'm definitely going to be like, yeah, right, you're going to pay for that as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you have to fix, yeah, the, the, the vet bills for the boy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... How was the scene in martial arts in Uruguay then? Because we, I don't think a lot of people uh, here, here listening mm-hmm. um, might have an idea or impression. So um, when my when my teacher started, um, it was in the sort of seventies, um, and at the time there was uh, I was I wouldn't say a very hard dictatorship, but there was a, a very strong uh, military presence in the country. And um, he he just came from Japan, learn, uh, you know, after uh, learning Kyokushin from Oyama himself. And uh, when he came to the country, obviously the opportunities to open his own dojo wasn't wasn't very easy. So the best opportunity he had was to go to the to the military, and teach the soldiers martial arts. Uh, so at the time, there wasn't any other like really strong martial arts presence uh, until he started there, um, and. Uh, you could say that he was the main, the main person to represent karate there. There were other karates, but they weren't like very well known. And I think around the world as well, they, they were like sort of getting to know. I mean, I think the main style was kind of kickboxing, but that was more like an American thing back then. Um, so he started that. There wasn't, I think, there was barely any taekwondo. Uh, or any other, because I think the two biggest one in, in Uruguay are karate and taekwondo uh, at the moment. So he started that, he started making all the contacts, getting the martial arts, uh, his style better known to the to the community, to, like, to, to, the, to the country itself. Uh, he opened different dojos around the country and um, uh, and yeah, basically took, took it from there, but Obviously, as he became more famous and more popular, obviously there were other people trying to imitate what he did. Um, but but yeah, basically he made the pro, the, the presence uh, of Kyokushin, I think, in, in Uruguay. And I think after that, he started in Brazil, for which, if I remember the politics correctly, <laughs> um, after the after Oyama, the 10th Dan, there were just a few representatives around the world and, and Brazil was one of them. I think it was like a five around the world. Uh, and yeah, Brazil was one of them. So, um, so yeah, so he he made a big name for Kyokushin and karate in in Uruguay, and that's that's one of the reasons why I went to that style as well because he was one of the one of the popular ones, and obviously, um, in terms of self defense, was the one that kind of show you more full contact and more, more what, what was real on the streets as well. Uh, and unfortunately, unlike the UK. Um, there isn't a very strong policy regarding uh, firearms. 
So when you get mugged in the streets, is most likely is going to be like like with a with a fire gun, with uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, so you kind of need to have a strong defense, <laughs> and and you know if you're looking for a martial arts, you would lo- you would go for the guy that's training training the military, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you need to have the kind of the training that handles pressure. I, I do find that with a lot of the. Uh, military styles uh the styles that resemble military mm-hmm. they do a lot of drills but they don't necessarily do a lot of sparring oh. so they can perform a technique uh under really quick time mm-hmm. but when you know how to perform a technique first is using it against a, a resisting opponent mm-hmm. it, it's really different isn't it yeah um, yeah and in your competitions it, you're always resisting each other you're not uh following a drill so mm-hmm. uh, i think it's like a really tried and tested Mm-hmm. Uh, good method. Yeah, no, for sure. I think the only the only one I would, I would say it might be better in in that sense. Uh, I would say possibly Karp Maga, because um, that's basically that's also kind of military training type, isn't it? It is. Uh, it is. Yeah. Um, I, I really like Yakushin. Yeah, I like the pressure style with mm-hmm. the the sparring. Uh, from what I like heard, it, it's just very sparring heavy. So you, you get that kind of real-time real response yeah yeah no for sure um yeah one of the one of the myth methods i i remember now that you say um sparring because it's not i mean the one of the commitments is to soften up the body right uh i mean sparring is one of them because you you give and receive uh but uh one of the main ways of training is like to toughen up your body not just with building muscles um but also like getting hit like one of the training one of the uh, drills that they do is like uh, you do one of the katas whilst the instructor hits you with a stick <laughs> yeah i've got i've got very fond memories of that <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing because <laughs> yeah. if you're not tough you know like that's going to be that's going to be the test yep, <laughs> yep. Uh, but we, we were woken up at 5 a.m by uh, Gozai Yamaguchi, who's the son of Gogen Yamaguchi, the, the founder of Gojuguru or Gojukai. And then he used to do that in the in the morning. We used to go out on a retreat and then uh, 4 or 5 a.m., they would just wake everyone up and then wow. you have to get in your gi and um, they would throw cold water on you while you have to do sanchin. And then <laughs> they, he... Yeah, and, the, and then the sensei would come around with a stick, as you said, uh, uh, Claudio. Um, it's uh, so sorry. Yes, uh, you know, there's just loads of memories there. So, gone. <laughs> no, that's, that's exactly that. That's exactly it. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't get to go to many retreats, but yeah, the yeah, Sanchin is definitely the one, isn't it? <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> I, and I always, I always rant about it in all, all the podcasts when I get the opportunity because that's the only experience I've had really, uh, as in a major intense experience of martial arts. So, you know, and that that really stayed with me. Even yesterday on the Tai Chi, um, uh, we were talking to a Sifu and talking about you know some katas as well. So it, it's that it's um, the impression martial arts leaves you mm-hmm. for a lifetime, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. Exactly. Exactly, you know, it's uh, they'll they'll last you. I mean, even if you if you did it as a kid, isn't it? Even even then, it will last you. I think well, yeah. this, this is one of the theories I was uh, I was formulating myself because um, if you think about it, everybody or nearly everybody, say ninety percent of the 
male population has done martial arts at one point or another in their lives, isn't it? Yeah. If you get, I mean, if you try to think of someone, I, I mean, every time, every time I, th I try to think of someone that hasn't done a, a martial arts at some point in their lives, um, I'm hard pressed to <laughs> come up with names. I think um, <clears throat> they do. Uh, we, we do a lot of um, play fighting as children, right? Mm. In the in the playground, like the wrestling and the the punching and mm. the Batman and Superman kind of fascination <laughs> in the playground. <laughs> yeah, but doing the actual martial art, I'd, I'd say that uh, a lot of my friends, including myself, when I, when I first started in uh, like trying out for a karate class, I did find it quite hard to concentrate because they teach, and I'm not saying this is before every karate style or school the the learning is very steady and it's uh kind of slower than okay. uh, what you anticipate being combat so you really have to have the patience to as, as a child to mm -hmm. love it and stick with it mm -hmm. and of course like you, you're 100% fall in love with it mm -hmm. if you do stick with it but i find maybe like the beginning stages a lot of children drop out mm -hmm. because it is very steady isn't it the karate style like, it's almost like monotone um it can be i suppose i suppose it's uh it, it can be yes um the, uh, mind, mind you i mean there were more than one time uh that i didn't want to go to my class <laughs> and, my, and my mom would like no <laughs> well uh, even at one point she she actually uh, got my stuff uh and myself kicked me at the door and locked the door out <laughs> and left me outside <laughs> uh, so, and she said you know you have to go to your class and then and don't go back in until you finish it so i ended up going but I really thank her for that, for that because uh, thanks to all that pushing, basically, it got me to, to be a black belt and, and help so many other people as well. That's amazing, Claudia. So we didn't even get an opportunity to introduce your school, if you don't mind sharing that. Yeah, of course. Um, I think it's no longer present in Uruguay, but I started when I started, it was Kyokushin. Uh, obviously, once Oyama died, uh, passed away, or many of the schools, they broke away from Kyokushin, uh, and my teacher was one of them. And he created his own style, which was called uh, Wakarukai. And his name was Ricardo Sosa uh, from Uruguay. Uh, and, and he was quite prominent there. Uh, his style, obviously, he, he, he did based Wakarukai in Kyokushin. However, he incorporated other bits of other martial arts, like a little bit of Muay Thai, a little bit of kickboxing. Well, actually I would say a bit more kickboxing than Muay Thai um, because he liked these, um, not just the the full contact of Kyokushin, but to take it a bit farther away, which uh, kickboxing provided and give that freedom to the fighter uh, to be able to other techniques as well. Um, but yeah, obviously, and I mean, and the protections of the gloves and 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 the and the kicks as well that kickboxing provided. Um, but it was mainly, say, possibly eighty percent Kyokushin, maybe five percent Muay Thai, and 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 the rest of of uh, kickboxing. Um, but that was his style. So I was I got to first dan in Kyokushin, and then I carried on with him, and obviously got to second dan in, in Wakarukai. Um, but yeah, it was it was quite interesting the the, the mix of those those styles, um, which actually got me to to wonder because uh, if you think about it, karate is quite linear in the terms of movements. There's there's not many circular movements, um, 
and it's kind of like a heart, like you said, it's heart style, isn't it? So it got me wondering about the other styles and and mainly kung fu. So I started practicing a, a little bit of. Um, uh, oh, I forgot the name. <laughs> you said it earlier. The, um, the soft Wing Chun. Wing Chun, yeah. No, no, Wing Chun. Uh, uh, Mantis. No. Uh, sorry, the one that's that's about chi. Uh, tai Chi, Tai Chi, Tai Chi, yes, sorry, sorry, about that. I, can't, I, can't, I can't believe I forgot that. <laughs> yeah, Tai Chi, uh, most, more specifically Yang style, um, because my teacher was teaching, well, I was going to the gym and I, I saw there was some martial arts and I started inquiring and noticed it was Tai Chi, so I started going and did, I did it for a year in the end, but uh, obviously there was a lot of old people and coming from karate, I told I, my I told my, uh, my instructor that, you know, is there any full contact that you do in Tai Chi? And she said, well, we don't quite, but we do, um, he called it sticky hands, but... Uh, push hands. Push hands, yeah. So we did a little bit of that for a while as well, which I found it like really, because obviously all the shifts in your in your posture and your weight that you have to keep aware and and also the um, be aware of the of the balance of the other person as well as a... As a as a as it, as they push it, they put they push it into you. Um, so I thought uh, that was that was uh, very interesting, and I thought it would complement quite quite well a heart style like karate. If ever, ever anybody tries to <laughs> meld the two together, but I don't think uh, I think I don't think it would work very well, is it? I think it would be like oil and water or something like that. <laughs> you have the grappling aspects in kyokushin as well, right? So there there are some throws and locks, but they're, they're not really used in competition. But but you have them in training as a, a curriculum. Yeah, you, yeah, you do as a yeah, like more like a self defense part of it. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, in competition or or when when you actually com- with in in a fight or in a sparring with someone, yeah, you don't use it so much. So uh, how often do you teach now? Do you teach every day now, or a few, few times a week? Or actually, not so much now. Um, I dare say, I haven't I haven't taught for a while, a long while. <laughs> um, one of the things I did when when I came to the UK, uh, say about some twenty years ago, um, I started teaching in a Spanish school, obviously because I I spoke Spanish uh, back then. I did I did. Uh, spoke English as well, but um, it was easier for me to speak Spanish. So I went to a Spanish school in Porto Velo. Um, I started teaching there for a while, and it was quite interesting. Um, but I, uh, the more I find out about the policies here in the UK, like for example, uh, students need some uh, some sort of uh, waiver or signs a waiver. Yeah, insurance and the like. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. And, and that kind of put a, a wet blanket over. The whole thing. <laughs> but, um, not only that, because you had to register as a school as well, just for insurance purposes, of course. Um, and obviously, my school wasn't very available at the time uh, because obviously it was in another country. Um, so it was difficult to register all of that. And kind of like I wanted to concentrate on my career as well, so I kind of stopped doing it. Um, I did. The lo- location would have been really good, right, in central London. Um, yeah. Yeah, right in the middle of the city. Yeah, no, that was, that was one of the reasons why I, I went there because uh, at the time I was living nearby as well, um, and I had a contact inside the school that, that, that introduced me to the print to the head teacher in there, and I postulated that I was a black belt and I wanted to teach there, and they were quite happy to have me. Um, but yeah, after a while, the politics within the school as well got into in, in the way, um, so I kind of like 
I kind of, you know, stopped and and um, I was looking for other opportunities to teach, but it was, yeah, it was quite quite difficult. Did um, that your kind of teaching experience mm-hmm. change the way you feel about karate, or does it make you kind of reflect a little bit more on like the the martial art journey? I think I think it gave it a more deeper deeper view of it. Like for example, when when you learn a martial arts, you you learn it from one point of view, right? Uh, but when you teach it, you can actually see the interactions of of people, and you have to pay attention to how people are uh, adapting the the techniques of the martial arts into their body movements and into their brain as well. Because obviously, a martial art is is good when you learn the theory, but you have to incorporate it into into your own person, right? Otherwise, it doesn't it doesn't quite work when you actually have to use it because it has to be intuitive. Um, that's why all all the training, that's why all the practice, and and that's to ingrain all that knowledge into your brain. And um, when you learn it, it's it's fine. When you get to a black belt, you learn the basics, and then you have to really learn, uh, which is not just learning the deeper details of the martial arts, the nuances, if you will. But also learn the other aspect, which is teaching it, and and see how and adapt the the martial arts itself uh, to each person that you're teaching it to, uh, because each person learns differently. One learns with with firing and fighting. The other one learns with kata. The other one learns with self-defense more. So you have to balance all of those things into into each class and and give a little bit of of that to to everyone. So. So that everybody learns as well. So yeah, so teaching, I think you, I find really, really interesting, and uh, and and the ages as well. When you when you teach a kid, you have to completely adapt the way you teach uh, as opposed to an adult, um, and and different adults as well. Like for example, uh, I wouldn't say with women and men, but uh, men or people that are. Mm, some people are tougher than others. Like, for example, I used to teach um, farmers and people that used to live in the countryside. And they are like, really tough. Farmers <laughs> <But, laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, they can train for hours, no problem at all. And uh, whereas if you train, you know, if you train an office worker. <laughs> 45 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In the same regime, they're not going to last very long. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, so that, that kind of, that's kind of interesting. And uh, and I, I said, once you learn all of that and you go to a class and you go like, okay, this is a bit tough for me. <laughs> so this level of class is for higher people or, or you know, it's, oh, it's too easy. Maybe I can, go, I can do better. Um, so you kind of learn that bit and you, you learn more about the, the instructors that you go to. Like obviously as a black belt, you, you never end, end learning. You always, you, you'll always keep learning more and more about the martial arts. So you not only have to, you have to have two minds, one to teach and one to learn. And when you teach, you have to use both because you have to learn as you teach. You have to learn about the person that you're teaching to. You have to modify your teaching methods. So you have to be paying attention. And, and you also have to go to your teachers and learn more about the martial art yourself, right? So, so yeah, you have double the, uh, the, the payload, if you, if you will. <laughs> Did you carry on grading um, while teaching then? So, because you taught quite early. Yeah. So, when you got your second dan and the like, did you carry on training yourself and grading as well? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, for sure. No. Um, yeah, as, as soon as it became, well, like I said, I, I was brown belt when I, having, when I was having to deputize for, for my teacher several times. And, 
uh, that was quite fun. Um, but uh, yeah, as soon as I got to Black Belt, I got my own dojo and I started uh, started on my own. Basically, I was fully responsible for the classes, and um, that was until I broke my, I broke my arm though. <laughs> that was a fun experience because um, uh, I, yeah, I was I was preparing for an exhibition and uh, and I try I was, yeah I was seventeen. Uh, try to break an ice bar with my hand, and I oh, did. Wow. Yeah, but uh, that was the practice for the for the exhibition. Um, I did break the ice bar, but um, yeah, my 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 hand wasn't twisting the same way after. <laughs> wow. um, so I couldn't do that that uh, exhibition the the following day. But uh, yeah, a week later, I went to the doctor because I thought it was a bit. My arm was a bit inflammated, and the, and she said. She she sent me to take some X-rays, and in the X-rays, said, "Well, you know, you've broken your arm. <laughs> That's probably why it's not working very well." <laughs> wow. uh, so yeah, so because it, it was a bit annoying because uh, I was, like I said, I was teaching at the time, which meant uh, if I fixed it, I would have to stop teaching. So they gave me an option: you can have a cast for six months, uh, or you know, you can have an operation and a, a metal plate. In three months, you you're ready. I thought, yeah, you know, I have to I have to carry on teaching. So, I went for the operation uh, route. Uh, but in the meantime, yeah, my friends, my other black friends, and my teacher as well, they deputized the class for me. So, uh, so yeah, after three months, I was doing push-ups with my fists again. <laughs> the the metal, um, well, not the metal. Sorry, the the ice bar mm -hmm. that you you broke through. That's interesting because um, in in UK, I don't see demonstrations but when i look at like online and stuff mm -hmm. i see more like uh in in america where i see the most demonstration like with the wooden boards and mm -hmm. uh i've never seen karate class breaking wooden boards here in the uk i think so i'm not sure if that's a style it is it is it's mainly for um, for exhibitions so another thing that you have to consider as a as a teacher it's uh if you got your own jo dojo you have to advertise it somehow right um, yeah. So you have to get people in. You have to, you know, let make people aware of your dojo around the area. It's not just open it and they will come kind of thing. Um, so you have to. I had to do leaflets and I had to do, you know, put banners here and there. And one of the things that you do as, uh, also is exhibitions around the area. Like for example, if there is like a I don't know a school festival or, you know, uh, things like that, that that gather the community around. Uh, you just ask for permission. You can just go to the organizer and say, "Look, I got a karate school nearby. Would you mind if I do an exhibition of my of my style here?" Usually, they will say this or it's fine, um, or, uh, and and there's no problem. So that's that's one of the things that, that we used to do, like uh, you know, like simulate fights, um, like like kind of choreograph choreograph fights as well, just to show the techniques and what uh, what. They can do what the martial arts can do in in a in a street environment, um, like uh, kickboxing fights or, or like sparring and kata. And another thing is is uh, tamishiwari, which is basically breaking breaking stuff <laughs> with your fists and hands and kicks. Yeah, um, so we did a lot of that. Um, boards is one of the things that you do. Um, it's mainly mainly for when you start, but then you move on to other. Other materials, like for example, uh, brick or cinders. Uh, you can do uh, pebbles from the streets as well. That, that was one of the toughest ones I did. So you just break, basically grab 
um, an oblong type of pebble from the street. Yeah, from the egg-shaped one. Yeah, yeah. The longer the better, really. Uh, but yeah, you just grab it, and you know it's going to be a tough material. But you don't, you, as as opposed to other materials, you don't place it between two two that are standing up. Basically, you have to hold it with one hand underneath, and you lift it a little bit, and with the with the edge of your hand, uh, basically the op opposite edge to your thumb, with that edge of your hand, you break it against the what's the, the floor which is underneath. It's, it's a bit hard to describe, but... Um, so do, do you kind of use it... Um, you, 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 you grab the rock yeah. and you kind of... You don't throw it at the floor, but you hammer it onto the floor. Is that how it breaks? You put your... You hold it with one hand and one inch. Um, so imagine if you've got a bottle nearby, just yep. uh, grab the neck of the bottle and then face with your with your uh, the, the hand that's holding it, put your, yep. your the palm of the hand up, you will see that the bottle goes horizontally, right? Mm -hmm. So put your that hand against uh, say a table. but the bottle of the bottom of the bottle in the air. Okay. And then with the other hand, you hit the say the bottle in the middle, so when you hit it, it will it will make the impact between the uh, the surface underneath and the pebble itself. I, I never understood that. So I've, I've, my confession to make today is that I always thought that was not real. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it in kung fu that the pebbles yeah. they have these gigantic pebbles mm -hmm. that um, and they crack it. You know, like they oh. with the iron iron palm training. Oh yeah, yeah. But I would say that, like the you know the the cow or the bull, their mm -hmm. horns. Yeah, it that's that's not as strong as the pebble, right? Because that's just bone. Like a it, pebble is really hard. Like, yeah, it's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. So yeah. obviously, if you could crack a pebble, you could definitely crack the bull horn. <laughs> yeah, and I In thought well, that's not that impressive anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the the whole you know the brain the yeah the, the for the for the bull is is, is bone, isn't it? Like uh, yeah. I'm not sure exactly which point he, he it won't be as hard as pebble for sure. You could imagine. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, considering the bull is coming at you as well. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a big opponent. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the pebble will come at you at all. <laughs> I I'd go on a tangent. Uh, I've seen some uh, recent videos. Mm. Uh, they're showing schools in China. There's there's a new kind of school. They do ball wrestling, where oh. these uh, kung fu students they they train primarily to show the exhibition and competition of like uh, ball wrestling. So ball charge at them, and they could they uh, kind of like brute strength and wrestling. They twist it and they move it to the side, and they can topple the ball over. And oh. the ball can't do anything once it's toppled over north, like on the side, right? Oh, okay. Uh, that's quite. But I, I, I never got my head around that because the only kind of bullfighting that you see in popular culture, like in movies and CGI Ooh. balls, and yeah, the, like, Spanish one, isn't it? The Spanish one, and yeah. that looks like a completely different animal. Like that one <laughs> looks like like hundreds of people. Once that mm -hmm. thing is like breaking out that um, enclosure, mm -hmm. everyone has to make an escape, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, exactly. it's not the same kind of um, Asian that you see in Asia. Those balls look more like cows. They look a lot more mild. Right. Um, yeah, it doesn't look like the same. Like those big black Spanish balls are completely different. Yeah, no, I think I think the what Oyama did was, like you said, like I think growing it uh, and then trying to wrestle it down and yeah, because I've seen a video of that happening. Actually, there's a video on the, of the internet on the internet somewhere of him. 
doing this. Um, so, um, yeah, I think he, he grabbed it and tried to wrestle it down as, as he was trying to break the horn. Yeah. I mean, there's animal cruelty, but it's definitely superhuman strength. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely a show of superhuman strength. Yeah, he's definitely not PC. Yeah, no, it wouldn't pass by today's standards, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, but that's superhuman. To, to be able to do that is uh, not not really normal. Yeah. Um, well, the myth goes that he, he, uh, Oyama was so tough, right? <laughs> the myth goes that uh, in uh, one time he, he, he got mugged by two people. And uh, using this edge of the hand technique, uh, he hit the, the sternum, you know, in the middle of the chest of both of them at the same time. Uh, obviously, he was a right-handed, so the guy on the right died <laughs> straight away, whereas oh. the other one ended up in hospital with a broken rib, <laughs> broken chest. So. But that's the how... I don't know how true that might be. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to look it up. <laughs> But but he was known to be very tough. Like he was fighting people from the military and from the navy. Uh, was taking on all sorts of challenges. Right? Yeah, yeah. No. I yeah. 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 No. He was. He was supposed to be really tough. <laughs> Do we know how he would have trained this, the the edge of the hands? So so the the, the front of the hands, mm-hmm. like you said, you punch that yeah. board, that wooden board. The edge would would you be chopping trees or? Um, I think no. I think it's the same. The same with the same thing that I mentioned earlier. The, the makiwara. Um, I think you can you can buy a few today. Actually, you can find them in shops and stuff, uh, already made. But you could make it yourself. There's no problem at all. Actually, one example of one quite popular was uh, I don't know if you follow the movies Steven Seagal <laughs> back in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember the name of the film, but it was one that he entered a coma, and then he, when he woke up, obviously he he wanted to train again, as you do, um, and he made his his own uh, makiwara, and it's basically he basically planted a a, a plank of a board uh, on the floor, and then he wrapped his uh, this this rope around the top, and they basically just punch it, but you also use it for the edge of the hand as well, um, but you use it. Uh, because there are other techniques, right? It's not uh, for kyokushin. It's not just punching. You use the edge of the hand. You use the inner side of so uh, the inner side of the edge of your hands. So right above your 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 thumb, you know where the knuckles are supposed to be, uh, but on the side of it. And you also use the uh, I don't know in English the name of the. It's like the four knuckles. So you've got your your knuckles, and and if you go towards the the tip of your fingers, the edge, yeah. the next joint. Yeah, you, mm-hmm. you use that as well, uh, and obviously the tip of your fingers as well. So f- with the same with the same material, you can you you have to, you train all of that. Uh, but back in my school, we, we were, another thing that we did, or my teacher uh, had set up, it was uh, truck truck tires as well. So he used to have, you know, when the when the truck changes their tires because they are basically worn out. Um, so he used to grab them, uh, massive tires, and then you, you you kick that for your shins. Uh, you punch it. You use all the 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 elbows as well. You can use the elbows as well if it's can if it's big enough. Uh, but yeah, uh, anything. <laughs> I think it's um it's a kind of a Kyokushin culture type of thing that. Uh, to see how tough your knuckles are <laughs> so everybody's like bragging oh my my knuckles are tougher than yours kind of thing you know it takes a lot of time though isn't it the high volume training to achieve that yeah but keep in mind 
that for every training you never use your, your, the palm of your hands. You always use a knuckle for everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, even even uh, you know those type of push-ups where you jump, um, you know, like you you have to push yourself off the floor, and sometimes you clap. Uh, I don't know if that type of push-ups that you have to use with your knuckles as well. Um, so it's not it's not something your knuckles become kind of like cal- with calluses and and easy easy to use for everything and and um, and yeah. So I think that's I, I've never seen that any anywhere in any other martial art other than Kyokushin, to be honest. Yeah, this is very similar to Goju as well. It's uh, everything was uh, all the push-ups, all the exercises were that um, to strengthen the, the the arms and as you mentioned the knuckles. Yeah. You know, we also had to do that, and you know, um, yeah. After after a while, I mean, you really get used to it. Yeah, exactly. And every every time I used to bleed, it's like, okay, it's all right, it's nothing now. <laughs> you know, I, I I can train again and again, and uh, you know, at some point, you know, it's like. Uh, you know the, the knuckles are totally ripped, yeah. and then it takes a couple of weeks to build them up again. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It just waits a little bit. Once you once you got the blood going, you know, like flowing out of your knuckle, <laughs> you just have to wait yep. a little bit and then keep at it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, I know. I know. Goju Ryu is quite is quite tough as well. Yeah. Yeah, we had similar. I mean, in terms of the uh, uh, kumite you mentioned as well, um, the, the only thing I think I, I guess perhaps because we were kids, um, we didn't we didn't, couldn't hit the face. We could just like sort of touch, tap, uh, but the full contact uh, face punch was not allowed uh, when we did the kumite. So uh, everything else was allowed, you know. So as you mentioned earlier about the um, thigh, to the uh, sort of inner thigh kick mm-hmm. uh, that side of the thighs, um, uh, the torso, everything else, stomach. But we were trained so well to take all these punches and kicks. Um, and there's a lot of kicks as well, but it's not as much as Taekwondo. Yeah, so, <laughs> it's true. You know, I it was, I uh, yeah. No, yeah, it's it sort of reminds me of that sort of that differences between these styles. But Taekwondo is very much kick oriented. A lot of flying kicks as well, mm-hmm. roundhouse kicks, axe kick. Um, the only thing we use, or I use, at least from my memory, is um, the axe kick. There's a lot of times mm-hmm. we use the axe kick and then the, the sort of the hook kick, but that's that's about it. Um, apart from the sort of the uh, 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 my Gary and you know sort of the mm-hmm. straight kicks and yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I think yeah, it's quite similar because it's all it's all based in uh, in Japan, isn't it? Like the karate, I think you can you can kind of it's like all I wouldn't say all, but uh, maybe most of the karates are kind of like cousins, isn't it? <laughs> they, That's they have, right. They yeah. have a lot of similarities between all. Of yeah, them. and I, I was looking into the Sanchin history as well at one point. So it says you know the origins are from southern China. So, <laughs> yeah. and it's, it's, it comes from the white crane boxing, some of it. Oh, wow. Well, that's, that's, that's very interesting. But then again, I mean, karate itself came from China, isn't it? Like influences. Yeah. In, I mean, if you if you trace it back enough, I suppose you will find it from there. Yeah, so, if, if you trace it back further enough, uh, yeah. it goes into India. Right? <laughs> it's not, it's, it's not it's practiced large. as much now. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Now, one of yeah was uh, one of the things that um, I started following now is uh, Sensei Jesse from from YouTube as well, and he's he's quite good in, in tracing all these back and following the story 
the history of each style and and uh, learning the um, where, where everything came from, really, isn't it? I don't know if you if you if yeah, I love following the nerd culture of like uh, the ancient history, the philosophy, and the yeah. mythology. It's all really really interesting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah, I could uh, talk to uh, like friends who like it for literally three days <laughs> and I still talk about it but I, I know that like if, if someone didn't like the nerd culture they'll find me incredibly boring <laughs> no I, I find it really interesting as well um because uh one of the things that I think I, I found myself is uh is trying to find the uh the purest form of of of, of the martial arts uh like for example for karate yes fair enough kyokushin is quite new uh, so I started following, okay, so where really everything kicks off and find out it was from kind of Okinawa area. Uh, but, you know, once once you start learning different, kind of like the, I wouldn't say the essence, but what this is most, most distinguished about each martial art, you kind of like start to identify yourself with different 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 ones. Um, obviously, because one of the things is like everybody's like, "Oh, my my martial arts is better than yours," kind of kind of. <laughs> but it's not it's not that really, isn't it? I think Bruce Lee put put it better when he said, "It's not is what adapts better to you, right?" So if you are better with the kicks, you got amazing. Uh, you know, elasticity in your in your in your legs. Then obviously you're going to be better for taekwondo than than Kyokushin, for example. Uh, but if you're better at punching, you're tougher, or, or you know you can take the punches. Uh, then maybe Kyokushin is better, or Goshiryu, or and then you you know you have to select what's best for you. It's not like one martial art is better than the other, don't you think? Do you do you find that in your teaching as well? Do you see that where if you see your students when they move, do you find that? you start to see that there's the artificial side that you you gave them like the kata and the techniques mm -hmm. and what they would do out of intuition and reaction do you see like a, there's a difference there oh yeah no yeah, yeah. For, for sure especially you can you can tell mainly in tournaments actually um I, this one time i was fighting with this guy and he he was amazing at stretching you know he could do the splits and he do all these fancy footwork and uh i was fighting him and it's like i was obviously because i didn't have that stretching abilities so i tried to fight close combat to him uh but there was no getting close to the guy <laughs> so much so i managed to get close right and he did this kick it's like um like a roundhouse kick but instead of going from outside in he went across my face <laughs> and, wow. and he kicked me from the top of my head i was like how did you manage that i, I didn't even see it coming <laughs> Uh, all of a sudden, I was fighting the guy, and all of a sudden, the referee stopping the fight and claiming a, a point to the guy. So, how, how did you manage that? <laughs> but yeah, no, they can, and and obviously that kind of stretching would be better for taekwondo, whereas other ones, like for example, um, I did have a, like I said, a countryside guy as a student, and he wasn't very good at stretching. But if you fight him, he would you basically worn you down in punches. Um, and or kick or low kicks, you know, um, and that was that was interesting uh, because obviously each person, I think you have to find the, like I said, you have to find the martial art that you're actually more suitable for, isn't it? But yeah, each person had their own their own style. Yeah, you mentioned Bruce Lee. I mean, you know, he uh, he adapted right, so yeah, and, you know, he, 
well, I'm not an expert on Jeet Kune Do. I've hardly done it, but from knowing a bit about Bruce Lee, it's, uh, you know, as you mentioned, it's uh, he's using the force, the, going with the flow as well with the techniques. And I know, I know Kay knows a lot more about that from the, from, from, from his practices. Yeah. I'm just a really big fanboy. Um, but <laughs> what I know on the, the Bruce Lee, yeah, big, big fanboy, um, <laughs> is that, uh, he, he doesn't want people to be confined with the technique to hinder their fighting ability. So I think when you look for the purest form, <clears throat> I was wondering, like when you teach, you notice that some some natural reflex or some uh, habits that people do, but then they go out of those habits because they adopt like the karate style of fighting and the, the techniques and the formal techniques. Um, but mm. maybe if we didn't do that approach of using formal techniques and carry on like harnessing the the natural instinct of what we do in combat that that, that kind of beast mode maybe it would bring a different like because your body's quick as at doing what it wants to do naturally right mm. so maybe harnessing that side and not taking on the like artificial format of technical movement mm -hmm. i'm not sure if that would create a different kind of uh, outcome I think I, I think I understand what you mean. In the, let me see if I got it right. So I did have, um, I did have a student that he, I actually had to fight with, against him on a on a tournament, which wasn't very good fun. Um, but the guy was very good at kicking, right? And he was he had a really strong low kick, um, and I tried to, as a teacher, I tried to encourage him towards that and to basically to cover all the other areas where he he wasn't that good but um um but yeah i think i no sorry i think i lost your point <laughs> no i think um in kyokushin being quite a, a formal institute and um, you want everyone to be a is it like an all-rounder because you have the kata mm -hmm. and everyone you want them to work on the weaknesses so you, you bring all their levels up right rather mm -hmm. than com being completely off balance in one side yeah, no, of course, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that karate gives you as well. Is the like you said, it's, it's kind of an all rounder, all rounder type of martial arts where you can, you have a bit of everything, right? Um, and yeah, for example, this guy had a very good low kick. So, in we had different types of low kicks that he could implement, um, and basically, I did a bit more emphasis on that for him. Uh, whereas another guy was, be like I said, was better as uh, as flexibility, so you can concentrate a bit more in 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 higher kicks or or different type of blocks and 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 adapt it, yeah, and adapt it to each person, yeah. So you know, in your teaching, you would kind of see what their strengths are and then let them carry on progressing in that that area. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, not only let them progress, but encourage certain areas as well. Yeah, for sure. So uh, do you have like, would you separate like the advanced people from the more basic? Do you line them up like maybe like advanced at the back and then more beginning at the front and then you, you have to spot the technique? How, how would you organize the class? Unfortunately, Kyokushin is quite um, formal in that sense where the most experienced students are supposed to go at the front, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, we did because that's from... Past, that's at the beginning of the class where you do uh, what's called a kihon, which is basically just repeating all the basic techniques 
uh, from punches. You, you, it's kind of structured. So you do the punches first. Uh, um, I mean, each instructor can do it at their own in their own way, right? But you do punches, and then you do blocks, and then you do the uh, shuto, which is different, uh, which is the edge of the hands or with the or with the hand open, uh, and then you do kicks. Um, and that's that's what you do the formal bit. But then it's up to each instructor to do that bit. That's the the kihon you're supposed to do it every day, uh, even if you don't have a class, you have to you're supposed to do it. Uh, so you have to do it at every class. But that takes about maybe fifteen minutes to do, uh, and you do 10, 10 repetitions of each strike or technique. Uh, but after that, you you can do you can be creative. You can do sparring. You can do uh, different exercise like um, you can do obstacle course type of thing um, and that's where that's when you look at each person's technique and we can concentrate and help them especially when it comes with sparring um, you we do a lot of sparring <laughs> um, and that's where you when you see as well where where they can be weak where where they can uh, have have um, the best work um, and um, that's where where you can see the areas where you can improve, and for each person, uh, and even in the, in at the beginning in the kihon, when you do each, for example, punch, you correct them, you go, you walk around them, you have to um, you have to correct the techniques. Uh, but yeah, yeah, and you can see the uh, the the flaws they they might have or the strength as well. How do you guide them into the sparring? So, from my personal experience, when I did boxing, mm-hmm. that was a big kind of like milestone, right? from a beginner level when you do sparring is I think is is quite a lot of people find it really uncomfortable ah. and you look away and you really almost like lose the love for that sport because of ah. that aspect but then you have to go over that threshold so I, I call it quite a milestone right because the carter you could really perfect and look pretty and mm. and really uh memorize that but the the sparring is one that it's so real and it's just such a threshold of time as a teacher did you did you like employ any techniques to help them get over that threshold or yeah so um there are different types of sparring so you you can you can do like a sparring simulating a kumite uh where that's the basically like you said like the upper level um and you don't you don't get everybody to do that type of type of sparring uh you can do other controlled sparring like for example uh, using just kicks or just lower kicks uh, and that's basically what it is um, or just punches to the body and blocks so that so you get them to concentrate on that type of sparring as well or just kicks to the head or just basically high, high kicks um, or, or just practicing a specific, a specific technique like for example just blocking a midsection kick like a mawashigeri or maigeri um, and and you get him to practice that specifically, uh, and that gives him a sense of uh, well, it gives the teacher a sense of are they good at this at this kicking? Uh, because you can see it's like for example, mawashigeri is one is like the staple kick <laughs> for Kyokushin, right? So it's a basically a roundhouse kick, yeah. but it's uh, but it packs a bit of uh, punch if done properly. Uh, and it, and it's a lot of technique involved into it as well. So some people are kind of quite natural in doing a, a proper round house and and you know carrying a lot of force into them with barely any any think any thoughts behind it. Whereas other people just do um, a front kick instead, uh, not understanding the concept the concept of 
of the of the differences. Um, so that's the, that's the kind of things that I used to use to to see their understanding as well and and what kind of knowledge they had of, of the martial arts. Um, obviously, this this goes to new students, right? I mean, people that did other martial arts before, they they were sometimes more challenging to teach as well. Uh, did, did you get any stubborn examples as well? Well, not a lot, but for example, when uh, most of the people, that, even myself, uh, when you start learning a new martial art, then you tend to carry a lot of the of what you learned before, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> even even if you don't want to, yeah. if you don't want to start a blank mind, it's quite it's quite difficult to do. Um, so so yeah, so like uh, there was a saying, uh, you can't you can. What was it um, pull water in a full cup or something? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure yep. I'm measuring that saying. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so um, so yeah, it's, it's quite difficult to teach people that already have a, a long experience in a, in a different martial arts. But um, but it's doable still. You know, it's just the student has to keep an open mind, and uh, most mm-hmm. of the people that actually just walk through the door to learn a new martial art that's that's already a, a step forward, isn't it? Do you find that when you do your kata, because I think <clears throat> for signature style of karate, you have your um, hands by your side of your body at the waist level. Uh, but then when you're dealing with like things like kicks to the head and attacks to the head, especially in sparring, do you find like the hands like they enjoy being at the side of the waist? Is that mm-hmm. how you fight? Or would you then have like a very high guard, like Thai boxing? Yeah, so uh, when you're fighting, you put your you use your uh, a specific stand for kumite, uh, which is your hands uh, basically right next to your face, uh, just to protect them, obviously, right? But uh, the other stand is uh, basically when you stand in uh, in the class, when you like you like you said with your fists uh, at waist level. Um, but that's just normal. It's not a fighting stand. It's more like a formal. That's just basically like. Um, is the way you would stand just to pay attention to what's being done or said or said to you. But it's not actually the way you fight. When you fight, um, you get called to fight position and then you, you move your hands up, um, forming a square between your fists and your elbows, kind of like not, you're not straight at your enemy, at your opponent, but kind of sideways. Uh, obviously, if you're, if you, right-handed, you put your left shoulder forward and your uh, right shoulder back, obviously, and your feet also uh, in a shoulder-wide stance, but also forming a square uh, between between your feet. So you kind of you have a center position, a kind of balance, and, and you can move that way. It, but only, that only comes when, when you're about to fight. Okay, so you have to engage position and you have the normal... Uh, class kind of training position that's right it's, yeah. it's too different yeah because yeah. when in the class it looks tremendously good <clears throat> when you have like the hands by the side and you're punching through the center because it's got that kind of symmetry right and that kind of uniformity and that symmetry looks beautiful <laughs> I, I guess like um yeah. it, it, when you're fighting engaged it's a completely different stance yeah i know for sure yeah i think even for kihon for like the beginning you also adapt a specific posture on your on your feet, um, which 
my teacher used to say you could have a puddle of sweat underneath your underneath your feet but you're not supposed to move them <laughs> whilst you're doing oh, wow. it yeah yeah because yeah. you you know um for Kihon, you're supposed to do a, a lot of repetitions of each movement i'm not i can't remember exactly how many exactly but uh at, at basically a hundred of each so you got midsection punch uh, and the, you do like a hundred of those and then uh, higher like uh, head height punch and then lo uh, lower section punch and then you do sideways punch and then you do <laughs> yeah you do you do lots of different punches um, but that's that's basically the beginning like I said in the Gijon where you it's more about the the to, I wouldn't say the mechanics, but um, the like kind of like the theory of it. Like you have to understand that basic before you start the class, kind of thing. Do you find using little hand weights help as well when you do like the straight middle and lower punch, like a really light hand weight, like a one kg or half a kg or two kg hand weight? You can do. Um, you, we used to do more like toning muscle muscle toning exercises. Uh, we didn't use weights so much because obviously the classes were quite numerous, uh, and uh, there weren't enough, there weren't enough weights to go around. Um, but that's why we didn't do it. But we used to grab like um, like weight discs, you know, like for for dumbbell dumbbells or for barbells. You just basically grab the disc. And you put it, um, you know, uh, eye level height with your arms stretched, uh, and you hold it there for a few for a few minutes. <laughs> a few minutes? Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> to shorten, yeah, to strengthen, strengthen your shoulders, or either that, or you just hold it, or you just um, at the count you lift it without bend, bending your elbows. You put it to the top of your head and down uh, several times. Um, that's one of the exercises that we did as well. As well as you know, like uh, uh, going into your tippy toes just to strengthen your your calves as well. Uh, so you did that. That was that was a fun exercise. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I I don't think we for doing the punches and that we didn't do we didn't use weights in themselves. Yeah, it was mainly the repetitions and 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 concentrating on the technique and the proper technique to 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 do the the exercises. The concentration side is, is the most interesting because when you're doing like quite direct, uh, simple, but very, very tidy, then it's not so simple. When you, when you consider how symmetrical and tidy it needs to be, then it's not so simple. But when you do that at high repetition, do you find you kind of go to like a kind of meditation-like stance? Yeah, sure. Especially because of, because of the shouting and the counting, uh, it's my teacher used to say it was kind of mantra like because <laughs> you start practicing and you 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 know your body gets warmed up and all, of, all you can hear is like all these people shouting and and your teacher you know saying the numbers and this and that it's quite it's quite um yeah it's quite meditation like <laughs> so so you're, you're you're sort of in a trance isn't it you get into that mode yeah, yeah. Some people even yeah. close their eyes when they, when they were doing. Yeah, that. yeah. That that, 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 that does remind me. Yeah, usually yeah. because you you have to shout so much as well. Yeah, you know, like because I mean, it depends how how tired you are really of the day. But um, some people were a bit lazy and <laughs> they didn't put effort <laughs> into it, right? But if you put really effort into it, or like 
one of the things that we did, one of the challenges was uh, my teacher used to get us like really warmed up, really running around, like punching and kicking this and that, uh, and running and jumping as well, because well, that's one of the one of the things that we did. Uh, and towards the end of the class, he used to make us do like 500 kicks, uh, like front, frontal kicks and, and side kicks. At the kick. end of the class. <laughs> yeah, to, exactly, towards the end of the class. Uh, and, it would, and you would get punished if you didn't like reach the, uh, the head height as well. Um, so, so yeah, it was quite challenging. And at that, time, at that point, when you can barely lift your leg, <laughs> uh, that kind of, you know, like mantra type, uh, that push that you get, the meditational push that you get is quite, quite amazing. 500 kicks is uh, quite, quite difficult at the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking a set of 30 per, per no, leg. No, no. <laughs> no, it was quite a few of them. <laughs> that, that reminds me of the Bruce Lee quote. What did he say about the kicks? Or there's a famous quote, isn't it? That oh, um, don't fear the man who knows um, ten thousand different kicks, but fear the man who practiced one kick ten thousand times. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Yes. <laughs> oh, about the sh- yeah. I was like, no, I was going to say about the shouting. Uh, one signature that well, I I actually did. We did quite a lot in class for Brazilian Jiu Jitsu mm. was to use the word os. Or us, yes. or us. Yeah. and it's different because the, the way they used it, I think it kind of went into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, right? But the, the origin would have been karate, uh, very, very clear, like a, a wide presumption. But yeah. I'm, ge- I'm guessing the or- origin would have been karate because in the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, we we used to say us for everything, and you you felt good. It was like an agreement, you know, like a team effort, and you would agree to the instruction. Uh, we kind of use it a bit like saying Roger that or yeah, understood. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we, we use that quite a lot. But in karate, you, you, you kind of shout it out, isn't it? The os. You know, I found uh, within Kyokushin, I found that there are schools that use os as uh, in the shouting, but uh, others that they use kiai. Uh, yes, yeah, Kiai. Yeah. So my school was the kiai type. <laughs> but then when I came here, um, I. I I trained for a while with uh, with a quite a, a, a famous black belt called uh, Steve Arneal. I'm not sure if he's still uh, teaching, but he's a South African guy that teaches Kyokushin here. And he, the guy was amazing. He was 60 years old and he was still training like nothing. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and they use us for everything. Even for the in, in the counting in between, so yeah, I found that a bit a bit weird, but yeah, it was it was it was good. Yeah, some schools use us, the other ones use Kia instead. Uh, I'm I'm one to say Kia. I think it gives it more more oomph to your movement as well. <laughs> a part of that breathing as well, isn't it? The warm, that use your whole chest. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> do you, do you do it quite sharp tone? Because I I think when I see the Japanese video. Their, their pitch is a little bit sharper so the like i see outside japan is kind of like like kind of lower but the in in asia the pitch is a little bit higher as well is like a bit higher tone oh okay uh, i haven't come to that but you're supposed to use your the whole fi- uh, diaphragm in your body so basically when you when you shout either us or kiai you have to use your whole body it's not just a um, is not just uh, a throat type of shout. It's the whole it comes body from the, compression. 
Yeah. Yeah, it comes from the core, it comes from the from the solar plexus. Exactly. So I think it's more it's more uh, more like a grunt type of type of thing, isn't it? Yeah. Mm, that's right. I'm not sure why Asian would use a higher pitch to be honest. <laughs> um, but yeah, as long as you do the right technique on the shout, I think it doesn't matter how it sounds. <laughs> Yeah, we can use it in all sports, breathing out in tennis as well, right? Yeah. In, in, you yeah. see the tennis players, they some of them are going to shout really loud, mm -hmm. but there, there's a rhythm to it. So you know they're doing it uh, almost a carry to technique, a yeah. path technique. So imagine imagine one guy at the front counting one, two, three, and the, and the rest of them shouting like, uh, I don't know, 100 tennis players <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's kind of that's just to give you an idea of what it feels like <laughs> that's amazing atmosphere though yeah yeah for sure yeah yeah i i, I was the more the type that i, I get quite sh uh, shy so i wouldn't shout like too too loud or pretend <laughs> that like my mouth would just pretend i'm shouting uh, <laughs> then, but when i did more of the boxing and the pad work i Mm -hmm. I was quite noisy because mm -hmm. uh, I started off doing the Thai boxing first. Right. Um, I think the Thai boxing, they're influenced by, um, you know, a lot of videos we see of Bukau and the Thai camps. They're like, oi, oi. <laughs> There's more oi than, than, than shouting. Their one is mostly oi. <laughs> right. and, um, yeah. And then all, all the Thai boxing gyms here mimic that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, I did find it did help because when you shout and you, you throw a hit, you almost, if you shout loud, mm. you're almost embarrassed to make a loud shout and then yeah. get really loud. <laughs> <laughs> so it's almost like a commitment. It's like, yes, uh, we could do it. Let's do it kind of commitment. And once you say that, your, your hit better be a bit more kind of like heavier oh. uh, uh, sound. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's better when you are among people, you know, because when you start shouting, if, you, if you're shy, you you kind of like you come out yourself <laughs> because you know nobody's gonna hear you anyways because everybody's shouting louder than you so <laughs> you're kind of like less embarrassed to start shouting yourself <laughs> before you know yeah. you're just shouting to the top of your lungs as well <laughs> <laughs> team effort exactly oh, that's really good no but you know the shouting is is very is very important to get it right you know like um, my teacher told me once uh, uh, when you start a fight especially in the tournament uh, it's mainly psychological than than, than conditional um so much so that once i was in a tournament and i was about to fight with this guy and uh one of the things that to prepare you right you say they say okay say hello to the to the table of referees and you say hello and then you say hello to each other and you go hello to each other to the and, the, and then to the referee in the middle and then you say okay and the, and the referee say, okay, kumite kamae. And they say, and like kind of get ready to for kumite. And they say, kiaite. And you're supposed to adopt your fighting stance as well as saying kiai um, at the same time. So kind of like, are you ready? And you were like, yeah. And uh, I remembered what my teacher said. I said, you know, it's a psychological thing, so the fight. So you had to intimidate the other person. And uh, it was so funny. I said, you know, I'm going to intimidate this, this guy before I start the fight. So I shouted so much, so, so loud. <laughs> and the referee said, are you ready? I'm like, yeah. The other guy opened his eyes so much. <laughs> as soon as the, the, uh, the referee said, okay, hashim, uh, like kind of start. The other guy started running around the ring. <laughs> I couldn't catch him. Um, and I, was like, and I was like, okay, there, you know, intimidation really works <laughs> after that day. It kind of proved it. 
but yeah the shouting is is definitely something that you have to you have to um, get from from the inner yourself <laughs> to get to do it right <laughs> at least do you find you build like a kind of inner power of um, the training as well but it's not just the the fists and the muscles and the tendon yeah no for sure i mean that's i think that's the reason why i broke my arm when i did the, the ice bar because um i was concentrating for a little while and and um one of the things that they teach you is like you know don't punch for example when you're punching a, a punching bag or a, or, a, or a board don't punch at the board you punch behind it right and uh, I put so much effort into it, like uh, inner effort, like like strength, like inner strength that I put into that, into that um, that that break of the ice bar. My intention was to break it, yes, oh yes, and uh, and go to go through it all the way to the floor. And I did break it, uh, mind you, but my technique was a slightly flawed, and that's probably why. I broke my arm. Plus, I was 17, and my teacher said, well, you're supposed to be 18 or over <laughs> to do that uh, because <laughs> your bones solidified after that age, right? Um, and uh, But, yeah, no, I definitely put the, like that inner strength to go through it. Um, and I did it I did it for, for everything as well, not just the ice bar, but everything else that I broke. You have to, you have to put all your strength into it because uh, if you go half meshes, you know, like that's how you fell or you, or you hurt yourself as well. That really is a hard style. <laughs> so, um, if if people were interested in learning Kyokushin, do you, do you still teach now? Is there any way like they can um, get you for training or go to your school or your dojo? But because you did mention you stopped teaching now for a while. Yeah, I did. Um, I've been. I'm always looking for the opportunity to start again. Um, but yeah, it's difficult nowadays with the with the pandemic and everything with COVID. It's difficult to find places and and to get all the paperwork in order as well. Um, so I'm fortunately I'm still in the process of that. Uh, but uh, suppose I, I can let you know as soon as I open the school. <laughs> That'd be wonderful. Yeah, we we have to visit. Uh, and um, it's just yeah, if it wasn't for the pandemic, we'd be doing so much more mm. events to, to collaborate and do so much more fun. Yeah. That, that would be fantastic, um, Sensei Claudio, because uh, <laughs> you, you would have to, uh, if you don't mind, Ed, some, uh, you know, to help me remember Sanchin and <laughs> practice that. And that is, I, I, I'm telling you, I, I'll, I'll pay, uh, I'll pay hundred one percent attention to it because uh, you know I tried on my own, but I forgot some of the moves. And then you watch on YouTube, and then YouTube, you, I, I can't focus on it because it's not the right angle or it's, it's something's missing. You know, you yeah. So yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, no, I think uh, you can learn a bit in, in, on YouTube or through YouTube, but I think it's down when it, when it comes to the details that you need a personal personal touch. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you need someone to spot you. Uh, which, which I was going to uh, commend like with a traditional style like karate at least you've got a card to the practice mm-hmm. with a lot of, like the boxing Thai boxing kickboxing wrestling mm-hmm. you, you, there, there are a lot of drills that you can do for conditioning yeah. but there aren't actually any carters in, in, in those uh, practices uh, so you always need a partner to practice yeah no exactly I mean even in Kyokushin there's so much you can do um, on it, on your own you definitely need someone else to practice as well. I mean, you can do katas, obviously, being karate. He's got lots of katas that you can do. <laughs> um, like I said, you can do uh, kihon as well, which is basically the, the basic trainings. Um, in fact, um, Oyama had a book that he released a while ago. Uh, 
you can i mean you can pick that up mm. and it's got like lots of pictures that you can follow uh, as i'm sure most martial arts do as well um but yeah i mean you definitely need someone to to correct you when you're doing something wrong and or you but yeah you definitely need someone to to guide you along as well isn't it that's fantastic claudio uh, that's right. thank you so much for that I'm really grateful for that uh, you don't mind us asking how long you've been training uh, karate for well like I said I started with seven I was seven years old um, and then I stopped for like a couple of years because obviously my dad didn't want to go train anymore <laughs> so I had to find my own school um, so uh, I think from nine years old nine ten years old I started I started then and then I think I never stopped. <laughs> I mean, I, st- I stopped teaching <laughs> for a while, but I do practice on my own for a bit just to keep the knowledge fresh. Um, uh, and I did, and I did train a bit uh, with, like I said, here in the UK. Um, but yeah, um, I don't think I ever stopped. I mean, like martial arts is, if if you find the one that you really like and the, the one you you are, you know, you you feel like comfortable with. Um, then you apply it every day. It's not something that you can do when you go to class and then as soon as you leave class, that's it, it's finished. And it's something that you practice every day. Either, you know, when, you, when, you, when you're using the broom, you use the proper stanzas and the proper techniques. You know. uh, when you're cleaning the dishes, you just stand in the proper way. And you, you like, kind of like Mr. Miyagi <laughs> used to say, you know, like, <laughs> apply the techniques to everyday life. And you will be, you will be golden. But the first thing, first takeaway, the benefit I see from that instantly is probably your your spine posture, mm-hmm. having a, a good back, uh, your head not tilting forward, and like because because as we um, go by, our, everyone's posture's got problems, right? The way we sit all day and the way we move. So mm-hmm. opportunity to stand just straight uh, is a really good discipline. Incorporate that in your life. Oh yeah, no, no, for sure, yeah. Um, there's a, a posture called uh, kibadachi uh, in, in one of the techniques. It's like, um, I think, what I was told, it was roughly translated as like hostans posture, like basically. Hostans, yeah. Yeah, sort of like that. And uh, yeah, if you can do that while you're at the desk, then you're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Burning quads after that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that's. Uh, but yeah, if you can apply it every day, you know, it's even better. <laughs> that's wonderful. But thanks, thanks so much for that, Claudio. Hopefully, thank you so uh, much. We should um, get an opportunity to train together. That'd be such an honor. Yeah, yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, no, more than more than happy. <laughs> One yeah. day. We, we have a, a few friends on the on the podcast, and they're they're, they're more friends than um, uh, like even before the podcast and like before the pandemic, we used to like. Uh, meet, meet together train in the park kick pads and do grappling grappling in the gym uh, grappling is a really like fun thing uh, if you ever like the groundwork as well mm-hmm. really like that okay cool yeah no I, I never got the opportunity to try uh, try uh, proper grappling like jiu-jitsu type um, but yeah it would be quite interesting I, that's what's the areas that I, I've always wanted to uh, to improve I, I think you would really love it because you have that grappling um, techniques in, in karate anyway uh, but it doesn't go deep into it right into the ground game it doesn't go no deep. yeah exactly yeah. it wasn't it wasn't very deep it was more like a judo type that we used you know it wasn't it wasn't like jujitsu type the, the fun thing about jujitsu is that 
because when you do um, training with, with with your your friends or your your, your classmates, it, you can't strike a hundred percent because then it goes wrong very quickly, right? Like if you if you punch and kick, especially with your pebble breaking power, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to go wrong very very quickly. Um, <laughs> uh, but with the grappling um, from beginner to advanced, you can always push maximum. And then the idea is that the person can stop and tap out, right. you know, or you might just get choked out. But you can push 100%, and having that capacity to drive at 100 miles, uh, like to fully put your foot down and drive, yeah. that's also quite a good experience. Right. Yeah. No. No. I can see. I can see it uh, being the uh, being a good technique. Huh? Yeah. No, you saying you were saying as well that you 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 can't punch as a hundred percent. Actually, you that's one of the trainings that we did. <laughs> Not punching, but that's kicking. That's a scary training. Yeah, no, no, kicking kicking the other person's stomach, uh, full punch. Yep, hundred <laughs> percent. So yep. yeah, it was basically one of the ticks, one of the things that we did. Like one person we'll throw up then. Uh, the other person would throw, I, I would throw up. Yeah, well, you have to strengthen your stomach. Exactly. You have to breathe in, right? Exactly. You have to breathe in every time they hit. Uh, please remind me, Claudia. That was it, right? You had so, to. You have to breathe out. <laughs> breathe out. <laughs> breathe out when you get when you get. Yeah. But oh, oh I could just hold it. <laughs> Holding it also works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. I, I'll tell you a funny story quickly. Yeah. Like that reminds me because we used to do like laying on the floor, right? And you know you lift your feet up about 10 degrees up and your head 10 degrees. Yeah. And you have to strengthen your stomach and someone comes and kicks you, right? Uh, the sensei comes and kicks you, right? And you have to strengthen the stomach, right? Yeah. And <laughs> what happened, right? So the sensei came around and he kicked me once and I farted, I right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> So this always makes me laugh when I think about it. So he kicked me once and I farted, right? So he tried again. He was being funny, right? He, he tried again and I farted again. And then so what he did was he kicked me slowly about five, six times. And every time we did that, I farted loud in the class five, six times. <laughs> and everyone was laughing at me because, you know, it was quiet, right? You know, because everyone's on the floor, right? And... <laughs> That was so embarrassing, man. <laughs> you know, taught me a good lesson. Yeah, I've got to, I've got to breathe out, exhale, release it out. You know. <laughs> oh no, but they can, they can be quite a few embarrassing moments at the, at the practice, isn't it? I remember one time we, we were doing sit-ups as well, right? But what the way that we did it, it's uh, the person on the floor it stretches their legs, and the other one uh, at the top kind of like um, sits on top of their knees like with your shin right so you put your shins inside and you kind of kneel down on top of their legs and uh, as they sit up to do the exercise the person on top has to punch them in the stomach and uh, yeah but uh, uh, you know we were training with these kids is like a, like a kid's school and uh, when the kid uh, got up, <laughs> obviously he was a bit, uh, the one that was on the floor, he was a bit too excited <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> and the guy, poor, poor guy, couldn't hide it at all. You know, like he was well embarrassed about it. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, I don't think we, we practice that technique anymore. <laughs> but it's not like, it's not like the, the, the guy on top was sitting right close to your, you know, your groin. It was quite yeah. far away, but I don't know what happened to that kid. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah, that is embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it has to happen, though, right? It has to happen. Exactly. Yeah. Kids. It yeah. I'm, I'm, 
I remember that similar would be like we used to do boxing and uh, one person would do sit-ups but the other person would hit them in the stomach when they sit up yeah uh, like they do like a jackhammer type sit-up so they touch their toes okay they, they, yeah, they touch their toes and then the other person would hit them in the middle right and then once that's done the other guy getting punched should be like right now it's my turn <laughs> <laughs> so you always want to go last in that exercise <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, that type, that type of exercise. You know, like that, that kind of exercise is that I think is what Kyokushin is known for. <laughs> um, the other one is the, the shins as well. I think the shins one was the, for me, was the toughest one, which is basically like you pair up with the other person and you hold, uh, you hold your your shoulders right, and uh, you have to kick each other's shins um, oh. at the same time. <laughs> I think that was that was for me the most painful one. Yeah, we, we did more of that in Mantis. When I did Mantis, it was more than Goju, that the shin kicking and face slapping, and, and slapping the back of the of 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 the fist, um, and you know, and, and the elbows. So we had to do a lot of that. Yeah, that was painful. So I, I don't recommend it, but I guess the sifus or the senseis would recommend that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you have to do you have to start slowly because obviously you have to toughen up the, the bones first, right? But uh, you mentioned the slapping of the back of the of the fists. What what would that for be for? Oh. It's for so mantis. Uh, so you know the back of the fist, the uh, back of the palm, basically that part yeah. uh, below the knuckles. Um, you train that up. So when we did mantis, it was a lot of training for that. For a year, it was all this conditioning, uh, which was there to strengthen up the entire body. So that we had to basically punch, but hitting each other's back of the fist basically right. so just slapping that and really hard and then the other one was slapping the face so <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yeah uh and that was painful um you know because you had to like slap really fast like a like a flick um on the face uh, to each other cool. so it, it, it can trigger for some people were really triggered they go red <laughs> they go really like fire you know because you know if someone fake slaps your face yeah you, you know you see fire basically and so so <laughs> yeah so that yeah i've not done that for a long time though like that so i think yeah. there's a tournament about that isn't it now i think the uh, yeah, slap boxing, eastern, yeah yeah like i think it's uh, eastern eastern europe or russia that they do it yeah like, you can see them like massive guys slapping you in it's like Really well, like. <laughs> yeah, it looks fully dangerous because you get some brain damage from that or some neck crack yeah. Yeah, yeah it looks really really dangerous but they they have that technique of training their neck quite wide and their shoulders are really strong uh, the whole body's really big and they, they lock their head down don't they so yeah. Their, yeah. Their, their target is just to keep their head down the chin down tucked down so it's kind of like uh, in that kind of tense rigid contracted position yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If they lift their head up during a slap, oh yeah, you're gone. That's it. They're gonna get knocked out straight away because <laughs> the, the head will just spin, wouldn't it? And yeah, your brain will get rattled. Yeah, you know, you, yeah, you probably lose consciousness, consciousness straight away. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, our training was not that brutal for the face slapping. <laughs> it was just a flick. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I, yeah. I would not. I would not opt for that one. But yeah. But the, but the shin one you mentioned it is that takes takes a while to get used to. Um, you know, guess that is very sensitive. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's because, especially because of the shape of the bone itself, right? Yeah, it's, uh, it can be. But I think 
I think uh, kung fu is the best in that kind of training, isn't it? Like iron palms and iron iron chest and all, all of that, iron head <laughs> that I've seen training like that. That must that must be. I think they're they're the best at body conditioning in that sense. I think. Yeah, I've not done a lot of the um, iron head though. <laughs> uh, I know we were talking about that yesterday with one of the seafoods. Uh, we know um, about the iron, iron iron palm. I think K, uh, K you mentioned that, right? Um, with the iron, the, the training for the iron, iron palm was it to do with the far gin? It, yeah, it's, it's kind of complicated. I've, I've not trained it myself, but um, palm strikes are deadly, right? You see them in a lot of competitions now. You could really put so much power um, uh, behind that. You could really push really hard with the palm strikes. Well, yeah, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> Wonderful, Claudio. Well, we, we need to have you back sometime. Uh, <laughs> a pleasure. Stories. Oh, no way. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for that, Claudia. No, no, no. Otherwise, hold you up tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it's that interesting. Like, I, I, won't, I won't really stop. It's that too interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. But we'll catch up. Thanks, yeah. guys. No worries. Uh, we'll catch up soon. Take care. Thank you so much, Claudia.